I'm honored to welcome in our country Mark Schaefer, all the way from the United States of America, Tennessee. Welcome, Mark. And I'm honored to be in your country because I love the Netherlands. I've been there many times and I can't wait to come back soon. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you because you're a real thought leader and uh, we had a little pre-chat and you told me you a lot of things that you predicted came true and are accelerated in this crisis. So what what made you such a fortune teller, Mark? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, it took me a long time to figure out what I was good at. <laughs> you know, when I was a little boy, I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, and then, you know, I did pretty well in business, but I was in some jobs that, you know, I, I didn't really fit. And then probably sometime in my early 30s, I, I recognized that I can see how trends come together. I can see patterns and I can sort of connect the dots and someone might be obsessed with trend A and someone else might be preoccupied with trend B. And I can say, wait a minute, you know, these things are going to come together and we need to be here. And so I have a pretty good track record of, um, you know, being ahead of my time and sort of, you know, talking about what's going to happen next. And I think we see this happening in my books and uh, many of the blog posts that I've written over the years. And certainly um, a lot of people believe what I wrote in my new book, Marketing Rebellion, has been prescient as well. Yeah, because you talked about how customer loyalty is going to go way down. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing uh, right now. Are there any other things that you uh, predicted that you're seeing that, that are coming to surface right now? Well, I think the biggest thing, Alex, is that, uh, you know, the subtitle of my book is Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. Yeah. And what's happening in this, and I, and I believe that with every fiber of my body. I mean, because in our hearts, that's what people want. We want human connection. We don't believe companies. We don't believe brains. We don't believe advertising, but we believe each other. True. We believe our friends. We believe our family. We believe, you know, industry leaders. We believe entrepreneurs, technical experts. We believe these people who we call influencers because they're experts in their field and they give generously of their time. And we think of them as our friends. And so so I think the most human company wins or the most human university wins, the most human, you know, uh, artist will win because that's how we want to connect. Now we see this happening in the pandemic. The big companies who can't get away from an advertising script are becoming memes. They're becoming laughing stocks. There's a video on YouTube it's called something like every pandemic advertisement is the same and it like cuts between all these big company ads and they use the same music and they use the same words. And the point of the video is just to show how pathetic these companies are because they're saying we're with you, but they're not doing anything. It's not human. It's an advertising script. Yeah. Now the companies who actually are helping people who The people who are suffering right now, who are losing their jobs or they're afraid of being sick or they're working at home with children crawling all over them and they've lost their opportunity to go to their favorite restaurant or see their elderly parents 
or go to a musical venue, right? Everyone's experiencing loss in some way, everyone in the world. And the companies that are taking part of that advertising budget and saying, we need to help people right now. Those are the true acts that people will remember. That's the emotion people will connect to that company. And it's an opportunity for them to become legendary, not just known, not just advertised, but to become legendary because they're actually doing something. And people will remember that. Yes. It's not for the one-off sales, it's for the long term. Who's helping right. you during this crisis? And you'll never, if somebody helps you, you never forget. Yes. So what are, are there some companies that you see that are doing this, that are going beyond their, yeah, their, their usually, uh, the usual business, but they're actually helping people? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of great examples out there. You know, one uh, example, one local example for me is there's, uh, you know, a a woman here who sells sort of high-end real estate. And during the pandemic, all that business kind of evaporated, right? Um, You know, I like to talk to people about thinking about the old thing we learned about in in Psychology 101, that pyramid, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Yeah where people have to have fundamental needs met, like, can I get enough food? Can I get clean, safe air to breathe? I don't want to be sick. Am I going to be able to pay my rent? I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be afraid. And they have to be able to settle those needs before they think about, should I buy a boat or should I buy a new house, right? So this real estate agent at the beginning of the pandemic saw this crisis where people couldn't get enough masks. So she started a Facebook group in our community to teach people how to make masks. And it had like 800 people making masks. And then it became so successful, they started shipping masks to other medical hospitals, you know, hospitals and medical communities outside of our state. Now, she won't be remembered for any specific house she ever sold. But she will always be remembered because she took this leadership position in our community. There's a healthcare company, a big healthcare company that I work with. And they said, you know, what is in our DNA? What are we really about? Well, right now, you know, we're about helping medical professionals. Our medical professionals really need our help right now because they're stressed and they're afraid and their their families are suffering. What can we do to support them? What can we do to nurture them and help them and their families right now? And so basically, you know, I I have a little little webinar I do that's, that's based on these ideas called Fight to the Other Side. We talk about some of these marketing principles during the pandemic. After I did that webinar, the next week, they had a brainstorming session to think about how do we roll up our sleeves and show that we care and show that we really are part of this community. And I'm sure they're going to be just amazingly successful. So it's not just about being empathetic. So we're, we're in this together. We feel you, we understand you. We're actually helping people. Yeah, I mean, people don't want to hear it because they're not going to believe it. They want to see it. Yeah, it sounds really generic. So I, I'm going to watch that video. I can almost uh, imagine how it uh, yeah. how it will go. I mean, that's, the best, that's the best marketing we can do right now is to show people that we care. I mean, great branding is about creating an emotional connection 
to between what we do and our customers. And right now, the best way to do that is to show up, not just lend a hand, but be the hand and help people with their problems. So isn't this how it should have always been done, actually? Did, did marketeers become lazy? You know, you, know, you know, I think there's something to that. I think the biggest problem in marketing over the last 20 years is that we've become obsessed with technology and over-reliant on technology. Uh, and it's not because technology is inherently bad. I mean, technology is good because it's easy and it's fun and it's cheap. And maybe we can use technology as an excuse to, you know, cut our costs and get rid of people. But, you know, marketing, it, it, it's become a crutch. And I mean, it, technology has become a crutch. And for lazy marketers, as you say, you know, people want to hide behind their dashboards and their algorithms, you know, and their and their spam and, and their automation. And, you know, people don't like it and they know people don't like it. And they do it, you know, anyway, because real marketing today, which is connecting really in a human way, is hard. It is hard, but we don't have a choice because That's what the customers want us to do. And the customers eventually always win. But what about all those marketers who say, yeah, you need all the pop-ups, all the banners, all the ads. And we have data that supports that people will click this. You know, all the neuromarketing technologies out there. They say 30% clicks here. But that's well, totally different from the human connection. So how do you, uh, I, I, how do you well, resolve to me this? It's, to me, it's very simple. It's like you have to put yourself in the, in the shoes of a, of a consumer and say, is this something that I would like? And if it's something that you would hate as a consumer, then just stop doing it. Stop doing what people hate. And, and instead, do the hard work. And, and, and you, know, you, know, you, you just can't overemphasize this idea that the consumers are really in control today and eventually they're going to win. And so get ahead of the game, you know? you know, that most of your marketing is occurring without you. And, and you have to today earn the right to be part of that conversation. And so instead of doing what people hate, you find a way to be part of the conversation by doing something that will just amaze people and shock people because it's so amazing and helpful and kind and generous and brilliant. That starts a conversation, not a lead nurturing program. Yeah, be worthwhile to talk about because you said one third is your marketing and two thirds is people talking about you. And that's you have not to add to the conversation. Opinion, you know, it's not my opinion of the world. This is all backed up with, you know, amazing research. In in the case of that single statistic, that was a 10 year research project by McKinsey. So it's like, this is the world. Wake up. And don't market to people the way you wish it would be. Run your company the way the world is. And that's what my book is all about. So be relevant, enter the conversation, be human. Yeah. Right. But so difficult with the, also with the larger brands. Do they have to uh, have a marketing uh, face? Uh, like a it is person really. who stands for the, the company in the in commercials? Does also be useful. Well, I mean, times. you know, it, I, I think there's no real cookie cutter answer, but I think we're seeing that today, you know, as the, as the pandemic takes hold and these companies just 
can't get away from their marketing script. They don't know how to really relate to people in, in a human way. I mean, what does that mean? It means, you know, being honest. It means showing real compassion. That's what you do when people are hurting and people are grieving. You know, you say, what can I do for you right now? I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering. You know, you don't say we're there for you. You, you ask, you know, you, you try to do something. And it's, it's super hard. And I, this is one of the points I make in my book. I was talking to a researcher, Alex, who sort of specialized in, in a lot of these trends that are going on. And I asked her, I said, how are these big companies going to transition to this human, human-centered marketing? She said, I don't know. Small businesses are much better oriented because small businesses, usually the owner of the business They know their customers. They are the face of the business. The personal brand is the brand. By definition, it's human. You go to this shop because the owner always knows you and greets you, you know, and they'll do something special on your birthday, right? That's marketing today is 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 to know your customer and don't confuse personalization with personal. You know, today, when I get an email that says, you know, Hello, Schaefer Marketing Solutions. Some people might, you know, some company somewhere thinks that's personalization because they pulled a piece of data and slapped it on top of a email. But when I see that, that's a signal, don't read this. So the irony is personalization has completely become impersonal. You're so used to it. Yeah. And our alarm goes off. Oh, it's, it's you know just they don't alarm. care. So, but very. Do you have any? Do you have any suggestions how for a big company how they can be more personal without the cost rising a gazillion dollars? Well, I mean, I I think there's there's some of the things that I'm seeing is number one, we're seeing a lot of big companies buy the smaller companies who are doing it well. They know that maybe their historic brands are built on this big advertising model and maybe they can't transition. So if you look like you look at a company like Procter and Gamble, Unilever, Coca-Cola, they're buying smaller regional brands that have established those community connections. So that's one thing that I'm seeing. Um, I think if you look at some of the best managed brands um, like uh, Apple, Nike, Adidas are some ones that I follow. Those are big companies. I think they're doing an amazing job. Adidas did a program a few months ago. It was before, right before the pandemic, I think, where they had athletes um, in, in, they made this video content where athletes were, were talking in a very compelling and emotional way about what sport means to them and how sport has changed their life. And then Adidas came up with these little patches with these different words that people could use to customize their clothing with different words that mean something to them and sport. So I think that was a wonderful connection uh, to, to establish this real human vulnerable dialogue and connect it to, you know, a feeling about the clothing. 
And then have you to be able to actually personalize your clo- your clothing to reflect some of those attitudes and tie you to the brand. You know, I think that's extraordinary. So what kind of people are meant to do this in a big business? Is it just the marketeers, but they have to they have to change their entire mindset because they're used to commercialization. Yeah. Are there different oh, people absolutely. needed? You know, the most important thing here, Alex, is 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 leadership. You know, and I'll give you an example. You know, I'm working with uh, uh, a company um, in in Texas. They're a big uh, consumer product company. They're a medium size, you know, hundred million dollar company. And but it's still a, a family owned company. You know, the the person who is the president of the company, his name is on the company. And so they read my book. They read the Marketing Rebellion book. Every executive in the company read that book. And they said, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. Uh, We are going to move our entire marketing mindset, our entire marketing strategy to align with this idea that we are going to be the most human company in this space. Now, you know, they're still figuring that out because, you know, you know, and, and in some ways they need to figure it out because a lot of their marketing has been in-store sampling. Well, in the pandemic, that's gone. Yeah. So they've got to figure out something else and they're starting to take steps. They're starting to make priorities and they're going, they're going to do it because the, the, the top person in the company says, I'm all in, we're all in, we're going to do this. And that's, that's what's going to take to, that's what it's going to take to make this change. It has to change the culture of the company, and that only can be done from the top. There's no such thing as a grassroots cultural change. You know, someone, you know, working in marketing, if they want to make the change, the people at the top have to buy into it, support it, sponsor it, or it's not going to work. I have a question. Everything seemed to go towards uh, computers, digitalization, going away from the humanity. And I love that one of your key points is bringing humanity back. How come this humanity is coming back? Because I hear Elon Musk talking about the neural link and we don't even have to speak to each other in three years because we can mind read. We can uh, upload everything uh, on the Internet of Things. It seems to go towards just everything going inside a computer. So where does this humanity come from? Well, I, I think there's two important points there is that you know, first of all, it's it, it sort to me, I see these waves of progress, these waves of development where technology seems like it takes us a step away from humanity and then it takes a step toward humanity and then something new will come out and it'll like seem like it's away from humanity, but then we find it, we find a way to use it to increase our humanity. Now, look at what you and I are doing today. This is the first time that you and I have met face-to-face. We're 7,000 miles apart. But, you know, I can see your smile. I can see your face. I can hear the passion in your voice. And, you know, maybe we followed each other on social media. But now look at this. We're using technology to take our relationship to the next level. We're having a face-to-face conversation. And once that happens, you never know where that could go. You never know. We're collaborating right now, right? And that's very powerful. So, I mean, if you look at, you know, artificial intelligence, 
or robotics. You know, maybe it seems like that's a step away from humanity, but then I read how people are using robotics to create these little things that can that can keep elderly people from being lonely, who can kind of monitor them and make sure they're taking their medicine and who can actually respond to them. And, you know, you see the same things in, in, in AI and whatever Elon Musk was talking about, neural connections, that might seem scary, but there might be a way, you know, to help him, you know, use that to help people who can't speak express their thought, right? It might, it might unleash a whole new artistic movement of people who might not be able to communicate in, in, in normal ways. So, so I'm, it, it doesn't really bother me, Alex. I, I, I think that in our hearts, uh, we want that human connection. We're wired for human connection. It'll always lead back that way. Yeah, I do. I think so. I think people are becoming very lonely also with the social media that, you yeah. know, where everybody's uh, being trained to go for the likes, but uh, we just want to be recognized for who we are. That's what I think. So if there are other ways to do that, that'll, that'll be great. But are there any major shifts that you see right now in the post-corona world? Because we're oh. talking about the new normal. We could spend hours on that. <laughs> so... You know, I think the, the big thing to watch right now is, number one, um, the research shows that it takes about 21 days of a repetitive behavior for it to become a habit. And we've got people living in very different ways right now for a lot longer than 21 days. They've been locked in with their kids. They haven't been able to entertain themselves the same way. They haven't been able to exercise the same way. They haven't been able to feed themselves, work, educate themselves, connect. Everything is, is changing. Now, some of those things will go back, but a lot of them won't. And if you, if you think you know your customers right now, you should not make that assumption because so much is changing so quickly. I think, so that's one level. I think there are going to be some, some, some major trends, long lasting trends that are coming out of this thing. I think we're renegotiating our relationship with food because we're cooking so much more now. I think that will transcend the pandemic. Uh, I think we're, you know, the an obvious thing is we're 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 reimagining how we work and how we how we collaborate uh, virtually. You know, I think a lot of people are going to wake up and say, "Wait a minute, you know, why am I paying fifty thousand dollars a semester for a college education when we're sort of proving this we can do it online with almost no cost." Uh, we maybe we don't need all this infrastructure and you know and everything. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of dramatic, real, real deep infrastructure kind of changes. There's going to be also important psychological changes. You know, we're a friend of mine, uh, Martin Lindstrom, uh, a marketer who I admire very much. Martin's uh, suggested that people have been 
so fearful for so long that we're conditioning a generation to have post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and I think there's some truth to that. You know, we're so afraid of, you know, initially, how are we going to take care of ourselves? Uh, you know, if we're locked in, are we going to be able to have enough toilet paper? Then the financial reality hits. Uh, are we going to be able to pay our rent? Then the psychological reality hits. Oh, wait a minute. I can't see my elderly parents. And this is like wave upon wave upon wave of fear all under this umbrella is I don't want to get sick. You know, there's such mystery surrounding this virus, you know, and by the way, I had the virus and survived the virus. So I know that, you know, more, even more than a physical ailment, it's a, it's a mind game <laughs> where you live in weeks of constant fear about what's going to happen next with this thing. My wife had it and I had it. And, and so there's going to be a psychological transition. And I think we're going to go through years, Alex, of needing comfort, right? We're starting to show up. There's this trend that, that we're seeing now called cottage core, where people are rediscovering a simple life, right? A lot of people are escaping cities and they're going into the country and they're saying, wow, I can grow flowers. I can grow a garden. I can take a walk. And, you know, photos of our lives that were like, here I am getting on an airplane. Here I am in the city. It's like, wait a minute. I'm sitting on a porch watching the sunrise. And it's, it's this simple sort of country kind of feeling where people are, you know, and that's going to affect design, fashion, music, popular culture. So there, so this, the changes that we're going to be seeing are, are, are really multidimensional and vast. Well, I think people have a lot of time for self-reflection these days because everyone is running here, there, uh, go to school, yeah. work. And you're, uh, you're a speaker, go all across the country. And now all of a sudden, everything comes to a halt. Yes, for sure. Well, I think it's very scary also for people because maybe they never took the time to you know, have a sort of a sabbatical. Yeah. So maybe that's true. When everything, when everything started to crash and, you know, all my events got canceled, the classes that I teach at a university got canceled, my consulting assignments got canceled. I went through a period of disorientation. Like, you know, what do I do? What do I do tomorrow morning when I wake up? <laughs> uh, what's my place in the world right now? And it took me a few days for me to realize that, you know, I'm a teacher. That's what I do, whether I'm blogging or speaking or on my podcast or writing a book or in a classroom, I'm a teacher, but the world needs me to teach something else right now. And so that's the transition I had to sort of learn and, and adapt to, and the rest takes care of itself. Well, that's a good attitude, but what, what about people who are stuck in big, uh, bigger companies? What can, well, they do? I mean, I think what, can lead, what should leaders do right now to make sure that their people are taken care of? Because they're all very afraid. They don't know what's going to happen. What can they do? Well, I think I, I think it's it's sort of exactly what you're what you're saying is that you know you have to acknowledge the fear and the strain uh, both with your employees and your customers. 
and also yourself. You know, when the pandemic started, I was listening to this, you know, sort of social media guru, and he was saying that um, that you were a failure if you were fearful. And he said, you're a victim. You're becoming a victim. And I got so angry at that because you know what? If you're afraid of your parents dying from this disease, if you're afraid of, you know, sending your children to school, if you're afraid, you know, like I was, that this disease is racking my household, that, you know, for a period of almost two months, we couldn't get food into our house, right? You know, for a period of months, my business collapsed. Those are real reasons to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid, right? You can own that. You can acknowledge that. You can go through the stages of grieving because we're all losing stuff. We're all losing things that we love, you know, whether it's a lifestyle or just, you know, going to Europe on a vacation or whatever we love that we're missing. We're all going through some grief. And that requires, Alex, a tremendous amount of patience, tolerance, extending grace to people who are maybe acting out with this stress. I think the world is ready to explode from strain right now. It's not going to get better soon because we could have second waves of this stuff. And so, and, and so that is the number one role of leadership right now is just setting that example of patience, forgiveness, and grace in an organization and, and just being supremely tolerant based on what's going on in the world right now. And how does it look inside of a company? How do they give the patience? Is it because you have to be a strong leader also, you have to give people hope. So how do you reconcile this with just oh, living everything? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, first of all, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a very important role of a leader to dispense hope. I don't think that's different than being a cheerleader to that, that that's false hope, right? Yeah. When, when you say, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. It may be, it is, and maybe it isn't, you know, uh, the, the goal of every entrepreneur and business leader and company right now is, is fight to the other side. You know, there's some companies like, you know, Amazon, let's say, or maybe a medical company, look, they're having their best years ever. But for, you know, 95% of the businesses, the most heroic thing we can do right now is still be here next year. And so that has to be our goal and that has to be our mission. And as a leader, that might mean abandoning our goals, abandoning our vision. It might mean, you know, lowering our pay, lowering our expectation to get to get to the other side, right? But, but there are still ways to dispense hope in a realistic way uh, and a meaningful way that, that I think is authentic. That's so true. So, yeah, because it can feel like failure if you abandon your goals. Yeah, company, but I, no? think that's part, I think that's part of being compassionate. You know, I think that's, I, I think rethinking what success looks like is, is a key idea right now. Because especially if you're a public company, 
you, you, you only have one goal, and that's to increase your profits every single quarter yeah. inexorably forever without an excuse. And that's just not going to happen for most companies right now. And you might be punished by Wall Street. Your stock price might go down, but you can't make stupid decisions right now and punish your people for this cataclysmic world event that nobody could have planned for and nobody could have, you know, uh, you know, predicted. To so be a little more uh, kind to your people. Yeah, you, yeah. You, yeah. You just have to. You just have to reset for a new and you know a new reality. And you have to sort of say, it's it's not my fault. It's not your fault. And let's reset and make it to the other side. I think it's a beautiful message that you also say about uh, helping people, seeing what you can give. as not what you uh, what, what the people can do for you, but what you can do for the people. Mm-hmm. How would you organize this if people re- read your book? You know, okay, I have to... Uh, I have to be more giving, but I have to also be creative. But I think it takes a whole company to shift the, the mindset. How do you orchestrate such a thing? Well, again, you know, it, it has to be demonstrated by the leader of the company. And and it has to be really activated by the by the leader of the company. And what I mean by that is, so let's say, let me let's go back to this example where I did this webinar that talked about my ideas and my strategies for fighting to the other side. So the leader of the company said, yes, this is amazing. Next week, we're going to meet and we're going to consider this and we're going to create a plan. Now, if he created this team and just let them go, ultimately, it's going to fizzle out unless he says, hey, team, how's it going? Remember that assignment I gave you last week? I'd like an update. Oh, by the way, I think because, you know, everything is being reset here, we're actually going to make that part of your performance objectives. And hey, we're in a staff meeting today. I'd like to lead the staff meeting by hearing a report from how this team is doing, right? So he, the, the leader of the company doesn't necessarily have to even be on the team, but the leader has to activate it by showing, you know, active, engaged support. He cares. <laughs> right, right. He cares about it because otherwise, yeah, the chief doesn't care. So why why would we yeah, care about exactly. this? So yeah. we're going towards a more caring society. So that's a pretty, yeah, that's a beautiful message also for in a company to tell your people, mm-hmm. go to give more. We're going to, you know, do more humanity because otherwise it's only target sales. We need more revenue. Is it also something that they, they need to change? Be more. Uh, are there are there other uh, numbers that you can track if you're going to be at, at value like this? You know, other I, I than think just revenue. Very. I mean, I think that's a very good question, and I, I haven't really thought about that much. But I, I do think it's important to consider you know other metrics because you know the sales might fall away for you know no fault of your own. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be working on sales and adjusting and pivoting and you know doing everything you can because if you don't have customers and you don't have sales ultimately you're not going to survive. But I do think especially when it comes to marketing and branding, there are other priorities right now. You know, we 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 need to focus more on how are we going to show up in this pandemic? How are we going to be remembered versus 
you know, pushing something, you know, on somebody that might appear tone deaf or inappropriate. And do you have tips for that for brainstorming sessions? Because you have the uh, the example uh, about the real estate agents who made masks. So this that's very impactful. People will remember that. But it's I think it's very difficult just to come up with some ideas how to be remarkable. Well, maybe or or or, or maybe not. You know, it, it really depends on you know the company. So for example, um, a company like Patagonia. Patagonia is well known for being 100% committed to the environment. The leader of that company started the company on that principle. Everything they do is about protecting the environment and enjoying nature in a responsible way. So it, if it comes to like some environmental effort that Patagonia needs to support, it's going to come very naturally because it's just part of their DNA. So a company where giving and being involved in the community is natural, it's, it, it'll be natural to adjust to whatever happens. Now, I'll give you another example. This is kind of an opposite thing. There was a company that said, oh, well, you know, uh, what do we do in this pandemic? Well, uh, you know, we're over in this clothing business, but we decide, you know, we're going to give away these free meals or something. And it might be a nice gesture, but it's not really aligned with the DNA of the company. So the first step is to really think about what does this company believe? What do we stand for, right? What is congruent with what we believe in? Because if it's not congruent, nobody's going to believe us. So that's why this healthcare company I was working with, the first thing they did was turn inside to say, what are we about? We're about, you know, helping physicians in their lives. That's what we need to do right now because that's, you know, we just need to do it in a different way. We need to do it in a deeper way. And so that was congruent and people will believe that because that's what they've always stood for. That's it. You're bringing back the humanity in companies. I think it's, uh, I never thought about it like this. I, I was, I thought everything was going away. So I think it's a very nice message that you uh, that you give us. So if companies want to make this transition, apart from everybody has to read your book, of course, in management, because if management... You need two copies. You need two copies. one to read and one as a backup in case of an emergency. <laughs> and one will pass it around to the company. So, but, but, but can they do it on their own or do they need a facilitator, a trainer? How does it work? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the, the thing about my book is that it, it, here's one of the interesting things, Alex, has happened is that I've talked to hundreds, maybe thousands of people who have, uh, who have read the book. Uh, I've been interviewed by hundreds of people. And what's so interesting to me is that every person takes something different out of it that's in context of their company. I mean, there's hundreds of different ideas in the book. There's a couple core truths, but there's hundreds of different ideas. And what people seem to take out of the book is, here's where I am right now with my culture and my company. Oh, wait, this idea right here. 
that is remarkable. That's exactly what we can do. It's almost like a Swiss army knife where there's all these little things that you could use and every company might use it a different way. So um, I think it's just really sort of maybe getting a couple people in your, in your company, maybe the leadership team uh, to read the book. And then just what I, what I always recommend is to just pick one thing, do a pilot program, do an experiment, just take a little bit of your budget and, and try something new and experiment and then, ex- and, you know, then expand on it if it works pretty well and then try something else. Uh, don't be overwhelmed, but just start. And I also heard that you have a workbook with the book, right? I do. Uh, I'm giving it away completely for free on the on my website. Yeah, because it's one thing if you read a book, but to implement it, that's a totally different, uh, totally yeah. different animal to do. So, this is for the people who want really want to make a change and who are the leaders in our world, and who want to go the extra mile and bring back the humanity. Yes. Yeah. So, I agree. I love the message. Where else can people follow you? Because you also have your own podcast. Yeah, it's very easy to find me. Um, I'm at businessesgrow.com. So even if you forget my name, you can go to businessesgrow. I've got a popular blog that's there uh, and my podcast, all completely free. You can find my books and you can find ways to follow me on social media. And I'd love to hear from people. Yeah, great. So are there any uh, books that you're writing right now that uh, we can uh, expect? I am working on a new book. Uh, uh, Anticipate it should be out by early uh, 2021. It's an idea I've been working on for a long time, but I sort of had to pause um, to make sure really it was relevant in the context of the crazy world we're in right now. And I think it's going to be a strong book. Haven't really announced anything on it yet, um, but it's it's going to it's it's going to be a little different from what I've written before. But it will build on what I've written before. So people who love my other books will love this book too. I'm sure they will. Mark, thank you so much for this uh, this message of hope and a way out of this crisis because we need leadership. I've talked to a lot of people. And a lot of people just don't know how to connect with people. So I love the book. Lots of ideas and bring back the humanity and keep hope. So thank you very much for uh, for your time. Thanks, Alex, for your great interview.